Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hi, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. We're here on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. We're in our 22nd year, I think, or 23rd year here on Voice America. This is a show that shows you how to turn your problems into solutions or obstacles into opportunities and really make your dreams come true. Today, we're talking about friendship, but we're also talking about, you know, looking at our life in terms of what worked? What are the reflections? And I have a very prolific author with me. My guest is Jan Yeager. She is a sociologist. She's a freelance writer, a coach, a speaker, an artist, an adjunct professor at the Department of Sociology at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, City University, New York. She also teaches at Baruch College and William Patterson University. She has written over 50 books translated into 35 languages, including the international hit title, When Friendship Hurts, How to Deal with Friends Who Betray, Abandon, or Won't Do by Simon & Schuster. She's appeared on many of the uh, TV shows, such as Today's Show and Good Morning America, and she just has done so much work in this field. And we're talking about her newest book. She also founded her own publishing company that produces nonfiction books called Hamacroy Creek Books. We're talking about her new book, which is Looking Back, Going Forward, Reflections on a Writer's Life. Welcome, Jan. Thank you for having me. And I want to add that Hannah Craig Creek Books does publish fiction, poetry, and dramatic literature as well as nonfiction. Great, great. All right. So first of all, why did you decide to write this book? You've written so many books. Was it because you've written so many you just wanted to kind of reflect on your life? Well, it was a little bit more pragmatic. Uh, I actually wanted to make it a, a, a gift to myself for my 70th birthday. And uh, 70 came and went, and I wasn't making much progress on it. And then, sadly, a couple of years ago, uh, one of my closest friends suddenly passed away from illness. Uh, she had been on the decline, but not something like cancer or heart disease. And then another friend, another close friend passed away. And I just said, wow, I want to put down uh, for my family, but also for others, for writers, for artists, for teachers, you know, what I've learned in this journey. And it's been a wonderful catharsis. And also, the good news is the feedback is that people, even people who don't know me, are finding that there's nuggets in there that are useful to their own lives. So, Jan, did you write about things that really impacted you in your life, the people you met, the experiences you had? Is that Definitely. Definitely. Well, that's the interesting thing. Uh, uh, I'm going to get emotional. Um, when I was writing about my... Um, miscarriage, uh, I realized from writing about it that my publishing company might have been, because I went into early menopause after the miscarriage, fortunately I had had um, two wonderful, live, healthy children before the miscarriage, but suddenly in writing the memoir, I said, wow, I never realized that now that I couldn't have children, I created a publishing company where I could create book after book after book. And it was it was such a powerful thought that never occurred to me before I was writing the memoir. So that's that's what I find so exciting about writing a memoir. What do you put in? What do you leave out? Revisiting life experiences. Um, I got in touch with my cousins because none of us know anything about our grandparents or our great grandparents. It's just shocking. (laughs) Yeah. So you really you were able to go back and look and reflect and um, and and really see. And isn't would you suggest this for 
most of us. I mean, even, you know, grandparents who want to share their legacy with their children, because once the grandparent passes, then those stories of their grandparents, they go away. Yes. And an interesting thing happened. My parents, after they retired, they it used to be called the Elder Hostel, and now it's called Road Scholars. And they love going on those trips. Um, so on one of the trips, my father must have taken a writing course, and he was asked to write about what was it like to have dinner as a young man. And um, what was so interesting is um, uh, I only discovered that essay when I was going through some papers when I was working on the memoir and I put that essay in the back of the uh, memoir as part of an appendix. And it's a charming view of, you know, what it's like in the 1930s sitting in a kitchen in Brooklyn with your parents and your brother. And, um, you know, I just wish my father had shared it with me when he was still alive. Mm, Yeah. I think that's pretty amazing. I had written a book about 20 years ago called Pathfinding, and my father was still alive then, and I had seven principles for positive living, and I put each principle in a chapter, and then he would tell his stories around that principle, and then I would would put those in a shaded block. So if you look at that book today or I send the PDF to my family, all they have to do is look for the shaded block, and those are all my father's stories. His father, his mother, when he was a kid, when his father, grandfather came over from Russia. I mean, it's they would have been gone, and now they're Isn't there. That wonderful that you did that. Yeah, I, I recommend people do that. And you don't have to be a writer to write a memoir. You can talk into a tape recorder, talk into your phone, um, do Zoom, record yourself on Zoom, and then transcribe the tapes. And, you know, have someone edit them for you. So yeah, you don't have to be um, a writer, really. And you can even just talk and have a ghostwriter help you. Exactly. Or, or, or a development editor or an editor. Um, it's, it's such a gift. And, and don't worry about who, who's going to buy it, who's going to read it. Mm. Uh, create it. And then it's there and people will discover it. And it's um, a wonderful legacy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And also, Jan, do you feel that it helped you figure some things out and maybe um, reconcile or be able to put at rest certain things by writing this? Definitely. One thing, um, my very first publisher was Scribner and they came to me. I had spent several years researching the history of vegetarianism. I had sent myself to Germany. I met Albert Speer, who was the head of munitions, and I met him after he got out of Spandau. He was the only high-ranking, one of the only high-ranking Nazis not to be killed in Nuremberg because he apologized. So I interviewed him. I asked him about Hitler's vegetarian diet. I met Hitler's, one of his secretaries, and I couldn't find a publisher. So Um, I went to the new school and I was able to get a course. And before I even taught the course, uh, the editor wrote to me and said, your course looks fascinating. Uh, Have you ever thought of writing a book? Of course, I'd been working on a book for several years. Uh, So I wrote the book and it was a big hit. I went on the Today Show. Um, I sold the UK rights and went to uh, England and had a tour of Scotland and Ireland and the UK. I was on the BBC. And then I wrote a second book for Scribner. And then I wrote a third book for Scribner. And there were some issues with them. So I changed publishers. And one of the things I realized in writing the memoir, and I say this in the last chapter where I sum up some of my life lessons as a writer, I said, you know, In hindsight, were those issues with them that big a deal that I gave up having the consistency of a major publisher? Because it definitely hurt my career. Um, People like it. it, the, The public doesn't really care who your publisher is. 
but the industry cares and it's so much easier to create relationships and have the sales force get to know you if you stick with the same publisher. But if you think about that, the silver lining is that you created your own publishing company, which you may not have done. Is that correct? Well, I might have done it. You know, I didn't create the publishing company till 1996. So I had 20 or 30 years of being published by major houses. I I was published by Scribner, Prentice Hall, Doubleday, Athenaeum. And then I went on, once even I had my own publishing company, I did keep up with being published by other houses, Simon & Schuster. So Jan, talking about publishing now, because today anybody can write a book and you can self-publish, you can do it through other presses, you can do it online yourself. So the question is, what should people, why should someone write a book? And in today's world, what's the best way to go? Now, I know you talked about major houses, but it's very competitive now to get into a major house unless you're a major star or you've sold 30,000 copies. Well, guess what? It was it was competitive when I got in. I okay. got I got a thousand dollars as the upfront money, and then when I delivered the book, I got another thousand. They're always looking. Th- this is what I say in the book, and it's a truism in the industry. It's easier to sell a first book than a second book. Interesting, because they're going to look at how the first book does. And if you don't hit the ground running, and the irony is that Mary Higgins Clark, one of the most successful mystery writers of the last uh, hundred years, she didn't make it till her fifth book. But today they want you to make it on your first book. Mm -hmm. So that's why they're always looking for new writers because they think, oh, wow, they're going to be the new uh, James Patterson. Um, whose net worth totally blew my mind that, you know, he's up there in the J.K. Rowling category. So um, I think that it's always hard to get in with the major houses. It is possible. But the good thing is that there are three options today. Uh, Commercial houses, and it's not just the big five. You also have several thousand indie publishers. You also have hybrid publishers. That's a unique thing that's happened in the last decade. And then you have self-publishing. And self-publishing is no longer seen as uh, you couldn't get a publisher. There are people who turn down offers from major houses because they want the control that they get being a self-publisher. But Here's one of my favorite anecdotes when I was researching self-publishing. I said to this woman, she was a doctor. She wrote only one book, but it was a biography, and she loved it. She loved doing the research. And I said, how much did you make? And she said, $50,000. I said, wow, that's impressive. But then I asked the follow-up question, how much did you spend? $80,000. Now, when I say $50,000 and $80,000, or she spent $80,000, she didn't just spend $80,000 to get it printed. It's the marketing. It's the um, buying books that you give out for review copies. It's the travel, because you, if you put all that time and energy into a book, you don't want to just let it drop on the market. You want to go to California and get in those bookstores, you know. So before you know it, it can add up to a lot of um, in a, a big investment. So before we go to break, when you think about all the books you've written, um, and and you have found it to be a very rewarding career, what's been the most rewarding part? I mean, because you're looking back now on all the things you've done and all the many many books you've written. What's been the, 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 the most rewarding piece? Well, I wrote a book called Victims. And um, ironically, I got a contract from Scribner because my first book on vegetarianism was so successful. When I said I want to write a book on crime victims, they gave me a contract for more money, three times the money, almost three times the money is the first book. Well, I said to myself, 
I need help. So I got a master's degree in criminal justice and put the, the contract aside and then expanded my, my master's thesis into the book. So the book comes out. I go on the Today Show. I do it. 18 city cross country tour. This is back in 1978. People were not talking about victims back then. They were talking about the criminal. So about a year after the book's published, I get a letter from a woman. It's going to make me cry. A woman in New Mexico. And she says, my daughter was murdered by a man who was obsessed with her on the campus where she was getting a degree in nursing in Staten Island. And I read your book, and it inspired me to start an association for crime victims in the state of New Mexico, where we've moved to. And she and her husband came back to New York for a visit, and we met. And and that was, you know, very, very rewarding. And, and, you know, and to think that part of part of that was you were a catalyst for that. You know, exactly. Yeah. And I even said to her, I, I, I wrote to her because recently I was scanning in old letters to clean up some file space. And I and I even had the 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 insecurity to say to her, um, what was my book a factor in what you've done? And she wrote back and she said concretely, yes, it was reading victims and I shared my own story that my brother was killed when I was 20. He was mm. a homicide victim in mm. a robbery. And she said it was your book and what I learned that inspired me to do what I do. So, you know, that that that's that's rewarding. I get emails. I used to get letters. Now I get emails from people all over the world. Uh, they'll say, I had a problem with a friend, but I read When Friendship Hurts and it helped me. Or they watch the podcast that I did with Oprah about friendship. And they'll write to me and say, I was so inspired because I had broken up with a friend and I was going to just forget her. But I saw that podcast and it made me realize, hey, why not just keep the friendship going, you know, so. That's wonderful, Jan. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk more to Jan about more of the amazing things that have happened in her life, um, you know, her education, interviews with notables like poet Allen Ginsberg and puppeteer Jim Henson, and just some of the life lessons. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com. My guest is Jan Yeager, who is a prolific author, speaker, teacher, and many other things. We'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Every conversation we have with the people in our lives is part of a relationship with them. From coworkers and bosses to spouses, kids, and parents to your favorite cashier at the grocery store, the path a relationship takes can have many twists and turns. The Relationship Road Trip, hosted by Dr. Don Azevedo, is here to provide a roadmap for your relationships. The Relationship Road Trip, Thursdays at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. The boroughs are New York City. The burbs are everywhere else. Real estate is the ultimate game of risk and reward. It's the biggest investment most people ever make. Fortunes are made over a lifetime and lost in a day. And we're not playing with Monopoly money. How do you stay ahead? Who's buying? Who's selling? And why? What do they know? We want the truth. You need an edge. Burrows and Burbs is your secret weapon to giving you the insider knowledge and strategies you need to succeed in the high-stakes world of real estate. From Palm Beach to Palm Springs, Manhattan to Malibu, we press the experts to expose the pain, find the deals, and occasionally predict the future. That's Burrows and Burbs, 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific. Because everyone can make money in real estate. All who live face a time of passing. Is death the end, or will souls enter an afterlife? Have you ever wondered about historical figures and what they would say if they were alive today? 
Psychics and authors Barry and Connie Strom will use their gift of spirit communication to answer questions and channel spirits concerning the hereafter. Tune in to Spirit Speak, exploring the afterlife with Barry and Connie Strom at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Get Unchained. Tune in every Wednesday for Unchained TV on the Voice America Variety Channel. Featuring nationally recognized, best-selling author, TV journalist, and the founder of the Unchained TV free streaming network, Jane Velez Mitchell. This program takes you inside a trending lifestyle that's the next wave of human evolution. It all starts on your plate. If you want to revolutionize your life, get happier, more energized, then discover the secret. Tune in to Unchained TV, Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. are listening to the Patricia Raskin show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to patricia at patriciaraskin.com. Now, back to the Patricia Raskin show. Hi everyone, we are back. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living show. And my guest today is Jan Yeager, who is a very prolific writer, among many other things. She's a professional speaker. She is a freelance writer, a coach, a sociologist, an artist, an adjunct uh, associate professor of criminal justice. She has a Ph.D. from the City University of New York Graduate School in criminal justice from Goddard College. And she's just really she's written 50 award winning books translated into 35 languages, including the international hit uh, When Friendship Hurts, How to Deal with Friends Who Betray, Abandoned or Wound You. And she founded Hannah Croy Creek Books. It's a small press that publishes nonfiction and fiction titles as well. And today we're talking about her latest book, Looking Forward, Looking Backward, Going Forward. Reflections on a Writer's Life, which chronicles her amazing life journey. So welcome back, Jan. Thank you. All right. I do want to ask you one question, even though it it may, it probably was in this book, but I think it's important. It's the question about friendship and people who betray you. And I'm, and you've heard this. I mean, we hear this. We hear things about adult children who don't speak to their parents. We hear siblings who don't talk to each other, and it's often one that just won't, for whatever reason, holds a grudge that may not even be valid. What do you advise to people based on the book that you wrote? Well, I'm glad you said that because um, I actually ran by my cousin uh, the part of the book where I deal with my father and his brother's um, even though we're talking about friendship, but it applies also relatives do this. Yeah. Um, so my father uh, got angry at his brother. Mm. And um, and what I say in the, the memoir is, well, you know, and, and when you think about what it was over, you know, it's, 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 it's not that big a deal, but it was to my father. He asked his brother for a favor and his brother turned him down and he had never asked his younger brother for a favor before. So he was devastated. So um, so I say in the memoir, how long do you think this feud lasted? I mean, they used to get together every weekend. Mm. Twenty five years. So um, what I decided to do is I said to my father, I said, you know, dad. And I'm paraphrasing, but the gist of it was, you know, Dad, you're putting so much energy into not talking to your brother. You're making it hard for my mother, your wife. She wants to see her sister-in-law. It's hard for me and my sister. We want to get together with our cousin. Why don't you just have a pleasant relationship with Uncle Artie? You don't have to make it the way it used to be. And uh, and I ran this section by my cousin. Her parents are gone now. My parents are gone. But I wanted her to be comfortable with it. And she was comfortable with it. And um, 
And it was very cathartic because, um, and I use that word before, but it's a strong word, but uh, we were able to go to her daughter's bas mitzvah. Uh, that was the first family event in 25 years that we were able to attend. And it was, it was a wonderful, uh, it was wonderful. And then as my father lay dying, <laughs> as my father lay dying, I said, do you want me to get Uncle Artie to come visit you? And I called my uncle. He says, yes. So I called my uncle from the, from the hospital bed. Now, this isn't in the memoir. And I said, uh, Uncle Artie, come see your brother. And he says, I don't want to see him like that. I just want to remember him the way I remember him. And my father, it's amazing. My father said, it's okay. You know, he forgave his brother. It was interesting that he was like going the opposite. Um, so I think what I try to tell people now, I also am very careful because, as you know, I have a degree in criminal justice and I've studied crime victims and I teach criminology and victimology. It's so important that if someone is such a negative friend that it's dangerous, um, it's okay to end it. And you want to be careful to end it in a way that you don't get a vendetta against you, and it's safe. You're and, safe. And but Jan, but, but well, your typical—sorry to interrupt you—but your typical kind of, you know, disappointments and that kind of thing. You know, that's that's a whole other level of yeah. And sometimes, sometimes what you just said doesn't happen. That it stays. That person still holds the grudge, and so then it's a matter of helping that person let go without right. right and 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 it's good to help them let go um and um sometimes it could be a simple thing like uh sending someone a year or two after the relationship the friendship has uh faded or ended you know sending them a birthday card just saying i'm thinking about you um you know being mindful that it may never be the way it used to be but holding that grudge can can really tear into people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and the other thing you want to do is push your energy into the positive other relationships in your life right. and if that was the only person you were connected to find new people right right absolutely Tell us about some of these amazing people that you had the opportunity to interview in your life. Um, well, Allen Ginsberg was was amazing because, unfortunately, I wrote about it when I was 16. Um, and I was a 16-year-old freshman in college, and I wrote a lot of poetry. And I was in the local bookstore off of the University of Buffalo, and I see this man who looks like Allen Ginsberg, and lo and behold, it is Allen Ginsberg. <sighs> and I actually had my poems with me. And he invited me back to his motel room, and he read my poetry. And I asked him what he thought of it. And he said, um, you're too concerned with words. The purpose of poetry is emotion and experiences. Mm. Those were his exact words. And fortunately, years later, I, through my own company, was able to publish a collection of poetry that my husband and I wrote um, in Love and Work Poems. Mm. And, and this has a funny story. Um, the book was actually ready many years before it was published. But too many of my husband's poems were about old girlfriends. So oh. I told him I wasn't going to publish it till there were enough poems about either me or our his life post those dating years. So <laughs> and and so finally there was enough to put into the the collection. But um uh, but but the title is meaningful because I met my husband, which I talk about in the memoir, through an ad I put in New York Magazine. Mm. And in 
his response to my ad, he wrote what he would have said if he was writing his own ad. And he would say that he was looking for a collaborator in love and work. And that's what you found. Jan, what would you say is the most meaningful thing that you wrote in this book, in this memoir about um, looking backward and moving forward? Well, I think uh, forgiveness, forgiveness, that um, it was very healing to think about. um, And in fact, when I had a really tough time when I was 17, I called that part of the book the day I hit rock bottom and reliving that moment and what happened in San Francisco as a, you know, woman who young girl who just wanted to, you know, figure out her life. Um, You know, saying to that young self, Hey, you know, whatever you did, you you survived and you are you're okay you know and 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 i think i get an appreciation from my mother because i there were many horrible anecdotes i could have shared about my mother and i decided instead to pick one that would sum up what i had to deal with and that was when our dog wags whom we loved got ticks Mm. and she brought the dog to the vet and my brother, my sister and I, I guess I was around eight or nine at the time. We assumed that she was going to have the dog, you know, taken care of. The ticks would be taken care of and the dog would come home. Instead, she informs us that she had the dog euthanized. Mm. That was how she dealt with a dog having ticks. Mm. And, um, but I forgave her in writing the memoir, in in reliving it, that, um, you know, what, what, what horrors did she go through in her life that she never shared with me that would allow her to do something like that, you know? Mm. Um, and, um, and Jim Henson is a wonderful story because I, at that point, I had a, a contract with Doubleday, my biggest advance, and they asked me to write a book on The Office. And I met Fred, got married, uh, within a few months was having, I was a full-time prof- uh, assistant professor. Within a few months, I'm, you know, pregnant with our first son. And then I decided to give up my teaching job and I was totally involved in parenting. And I get a call from Doubleday saying, where's our book? And I'm like, oh, oh, that's right. I was supposed to write a book. Um, Well, I had my first son. I was an older parent. I was 36. I was totally engrossed in being a parent. They said, well, here's the situation. We're happy you had the, the baby. But either deliver the book or give us our money back. Wow. <laughs> so the good thing about getting fifteen thousand dollars is that's a motivator. So um, I wasn't using a babysitter yet, and um, a friend of my brother's uh, worked for Jim Henson as an accountant, and I was um, one of the projects I was working on at the time that I decided to put aside was writing more about my brother's murder and what happened. And I told him I had this contract to write a book on the office. And he says, well, would you like to interview my boss, Jim Henson, about his office? It's an amazing office. So fortunately, I got the interview and I'm like, what am I going to do with Scott? So I bring Scott on the interview. And um, it's one of my favorite favorite experiences because Jim Henson at that point had five grown children and Mm. I needed to do something with Scott who was 18 months um, while I got my recorder out of my tote bag so I asked Jim Henson if he'd hold Scott 
And he said, uh, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to having children like this, you know, this size. He says, all my kids are grown. So I have this amazing picture of Scott sitting on Jim Henson's lap with Jim Henson holding and it's in the memoir. And the good news is that the anyone who gets the audiobook version, which Gail Cruz does the narration, um, I put together a PDF of every single photograph from the book. So if you get the audiobook, you get a PDF with all the pictures, including the picture of Scott with Jim Henson. All right, we're going to take a quick break and come back and hear some more of the amazing stories of Jan Yeager, who is a prolific author with over 50 books and many other things beside a writer, sociologist, freelance writer, speaker, coach, adjunct professor, PhD in criminal justice. Amazing. Written 50 books. And we'll talk more about, um, you know, what has meant the most to her in terms of looking backward and moving forward. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. We'll be right back. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host, keynote speaker, and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now, she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for the Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Did you know that the quality of our daily lives is directly influenced by the design of our built environment? Our homes, our work, the way we move, and where we play are all shaped by the design of our cities. This thought-provoking new show from architect, urban designer, and educator, Carrie Pennebod, examines the complex forces that shape the making of our physical world. Lively conversations with leading experts in a variety of fields engage some of the greatest challenges facing our cities today, including climate change, affordable housing, embedded technologies, infrastructure design, architecture and the arts, urban policy, social mobility, and much, much more. Tune in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, so that together we can design a better world. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? We don't think so. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Ed Cheney. Ed and his guests will explain full-spectrum CBD, using the whole hemp plant for good health and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Relationships can be tricky. If you are looking for more from the relationships in your life, tune in to Kissing in a Tree with host Kelly Nichols. Kelly is a body-positive sex and relationship coach, and she wants to share her knowledge to help you become a better partner and a better person. Kissing in a Tree, Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hey, everyone, and we are back. We are talking to Jan Lager, whose newest book is Reflections on a Writer's Life, Looking Forward, Going, Looking Backward, and Going Forward. Dr. Jan Yeager is a sociologist, freelance writer, coach, speaker, artist, adjunct professor, in the Department of Sociology at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice in New York. 
She also teaches at the Baruch College and William Pat- Patterson University. She has many credentials behind her name. She has written 50 award-winning books translated into 35 languages on all subjects from friendship to business, to productive relationships, to um, to the book that she's just written now, which is a memoir. She's appeared on The View, The Today Show, Good Morning America, CBS This Morning, CNN, NPR. And she really has done so many incredible things. She, in 1996, founded Hannah Croy Creek Books, which is a small publishing company that publishes non-adult uh, fiction titles, adult fiction, non-fiction and also young adult and middle school fiction, illustrated children's books, dramatic literature, poetry, and journals. So she's really into the world of writing in every single aspect from writing to publishing. And we're talking about her new book, but also some of her other new books. So welcome back, Jan. So speaking of publishing, you have a book that not only did you write, but you designed the cover of. Oh, right, yes. Um, Well, A Thousand and One Affirmations is a composite of three previous books, and and, and plus a new introduction. Um, The books are 365 Daily Affirmations for Happiness, for Time Management, and for Healthy and Nurturing Relationships. And that's one of the exciting things about being your own publisher, that Mm. I could decide to put the three books together and do a new cover and write a new introduction. So those are the kinds of control things that you can do when you are your own publisher. But I wanted to also mention two books with Square One, um, How to Self-Publish Your Book and How to Promote Your Book, which literally just came out in February. Um, I decided that it would be in the best interest of these books to be published by Square One because they have a writer's series. So my message is, is it harder today to self-publish because there's more competition? Well, that's what I was going to say, that if you are going to self-publish, you must make a very strong commitment to the promotion, to the marketing, because it's gone from a couple of hundred thousand to literally millions and getting your book noticed in the midst of all that has become much, much harder. It's not impossible, but you have to, I've seen such a, a growth in that type of publishing just since I started my own company. Um, so my, my I message to- help. I wanna hear the message, but do you think people should get help to do that or can we do it on our own? Well, fortunately, how to self-publish your book has, literally help people take it from point A to point B. But even if you read the book and know everything in the book, you may want to find a mentor, a coach. You may want to go with a book baby or uh, one of the other companies that'll help do some of the heavy lifting for you. You don't have to do everything yourself. Um, But you should understand the process so you're not taken advantage of. Uh, But what I wanted to say to anyone listening who has the thought of writing a book, um, what's important is the specific book and finding the right outlet for it, whether it's going to be self-publishing, hybrid publishing. Hybrid often requires someone to pay part of the process or to agree to buy a certain number of books that works very well for people who have consulting practices or have a way of selling literally thousands of their own books. And then the third way is what we talked about initially, the commercial publishers. The commercial publishers, you're going to get a dollar a book as a royalty. If you self-publish, you're going to get anywhere from three to five dollars a book as a royalty but once again you have all the expenses related to making the book happen that the commercial publisher will have absorbed Mm -hmm. so there's no there's no one way for anything or anyone but do it on a per book basis how much time do you have how much money do you have to put into the venture 
And, um, you know, and, and luckily there are good people out there to help you on your journey. You don't have to go it alone. What would you say to people since you've written over 50 books and published books? What do you say to people who want to write something? They've got it in them, but they don't know where to start, Jan. Well, my dad, who wanted to be a writer, but I didn't find that out till after he was gone. Um, he used to always say to me, if I'd have writer's block, he'd say, it just starts with that first word. Just get that first word on the page. Just just one sentence at a time. Mm. And that's what you do. You know, it's... Uh, it, my son, who is a writer, Jeff Yeager, um, one of his, uh, he's published five books at this point. One of his books, I think it was um, Adam and Eve, his very first book, um, he wrote it on his phone, you know, uh, because he was so busy with his job and with everything. So, so my going to the memoir, um, you know, I say something about writing in the memoir about, you know, the best writing is when writing, you, you it comes to you. You know, yeah. you just, I have another question. Don't mean to interrupt you because I keep thinking sure. as you're talking. How do you feel about writing as healing? You know, you've been through a tough time. People talk about morning pages, getting up in the morning and writing. What's your feeling about that? Oh, I'm glad you said that because research has found, and one of the reasons I my company publishes several journals, just the physical act of writing in a journal is healing. And you can write on a computer, but even writing physically with a pen on paper um it's it it helps it 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 reduces stress um you know there's scientific evidence that writing can be very healing um and well, and you even said in this last book that you've written there was a lot of healing in your own right because of things that you thought about that meant a lot to you in your life that brought about some healing and, and, uh, and joy as well. Sure. It's interesting because my best friend, Joyce, uh, she didn't know in the section of the book in chapter 13, where I talk about my friends who have passed away in the last few years that I wrote about her husband, Dave, who was a wonderful man. And she told me uh, the other day, she's been reading the memoir and she broke down in tears because I honored him by, you know, talking about him and what a wonderful man he was. And, you know, it, it that that meant a lot to me that, you know, it had that positive effect on her. It was good cry, not yeah. bad cry. So what's your message to our listeners today? You've talked about a lot of things, certainly writing your memoirs, you know, looking backward, but certainly moving forward. You've talked about friendship. You, you, you actually said you've written books on crime. Um, you've written books on business. So what, what do you want to leave our listeners with today in general from everything that you've done? Uh, that, well, I think, a book that I wrote says it so well, um, How to Finish Everything You Start. Yes. Now, this is a powerful book because um, there's a chapter at the end about when failing. I, I The first 12, the first 11 chapters are all about why people don't finish and how to correct it and finish things. There's even a chapter on how to finish a book if you've put it aside. Mm -hmm. But that chapter, chapter 12, the exception that proves the rule when failing to finish is a good thing, but you you don't finish for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. So one of my exciting things in my writing is I try not to have this cookie cutter philosophy. In other words, someone else might've written a book, how to finish everything you start, you know, finish everything. But the me that I love says, 
wait, I'm so glad. In fact, my children will say to me, I'm so glad you and your ex-fiance broke up. I mm -hmm. wouldn't be here, you know? So, right. you right. know, I'm so, right. I, I, I put aside being an art therapist and became a criminologist. Right. It's okay. Right. So, um, so I think that um, my message to everyone listening is um, some of the themes of my time management work, which I synopsize in my memoir, Looking Backward, Going Forward, prioritize Think about your legacy. Uh, work towards that legacy. Um, you know, make the most of every moment. Uh, so, I feel very blessed that I have no regrets. Uh, there are things I might have done differently, but I forgive myself and move on. And I feel very sad when people tell me, recently I was talking to a man who isn't doing much since he retired and and I said, what are you doing? And he says, not much. And he's bored and he's not excited with life. And there's so much to do. Volunteer, you know, um, climb mountains, you know, <laughs> life is yeah. so, so short. So make the most of it. Thank you, Jan. Thank you for being on the program. It's really great. Um, quickly, the how do the people find you? JanYeager.com. Uh, drjanyeager.com. Okay. Um, they'll Perfect. find lots of my books there. I have a blog. Please join my mailing list. Love to hear from everyone. And uh, uh, Patricia, we go back many years. You're Thank such you. a delight. You're Thank a you. wonderful interviewer. Thank, Thank you, you for having me on your show. Thank you, Jan. It's great to be with you. All right. So drjanyeager.com. All right, folks, that wraps up this edition of the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. Um, if you're thinking about doing your own podcast and you really, you know, would like to get your positive message out, I've interviewed over 5,000 people in my four decades of doing this work, and I'd love to help you. So write to me, Patricia at patriciaraskin.com. If you'd like to be on my newsletter list, same thing, Patricia at patriciaraskin.com. And on Facebook, Patricia Raskin, Raskin Resource. Remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of The Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.